Welcome back to another episode of Joy, Color, Impact, and Dogs. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith. You can call me Nick. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, a fresh new year. If you're listening to this near the time when it's airing, then it's just early January and the world is full of possibility and untapped potential. (laughs) Now, maybe that feels exciting to you, or maybe you're like, oh, I live somewhere dark and cold and all I want to do is hibernate because that's what January feels like for me. And if it does, you need to check out, I think it was two episodes ago, I talked about some joy hacks for starting the new year with joy. And one of those, one of my secrets is to not start the year until February officially. (laughs) I love getting a free month every year. Feels good. But today I could not be more pleased that we are having a beautiful chat with one of my dearest friends, mentors, sisters, Dr. Romy Mushtaq, who yesterday at the time of this airing released in a global release her book, The Busy Brain Cure which we're going to talk about a little bit. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about what it's like to actually get a publishing deal like this with a publisher like this. She's publishing with HarperCollins, the, I think officially the biggest publisher in the world, but certainly one of the big five. We talk about busy brain. We talk about joy. We even talk about color psychology because I helped her pick the colors for the cover of her book and am very pleased to see how it's leaping off the shelf next to the big books she's going up against on the shelf right now. So I'd love to tell you a little bit about Dr. Romy. She's not just uh, a business bestie of mine. She is a very, very impressive human being. She's a board-certified physician, an award-winning wellness speaker, and the founder of BrainShift. She brings together over 20 years of authority in neurology, integrative medicine, and mindfulness, and she delivers programs that create cultural change. She currently speaks and consults for Fortune 500 companies, professional athletes, and global associations. Dr. Romy is also the Chief Wellness Officer for Evolution Hospitality, where she scaled a mindfulness and wellness program to over 7,000 employees. Her expertise is featured in the national media, such as NPR, NBC, TED Talks, and Forbes, and you can find the cure for your busy brain at drromy.com. And if you want to find her on social media, you can find her at Dr. Romy, I encourage you to do that because she is a delight to follow. So let's not delay. Let's jump straight into our delicious, juicy, wonderful conversation with Dr. Romy. Welcome, Dr. Romy. It is so wonderful to have you here. We're celebrating today, and I'm so thankful you and I are doing this interview. It is a full circle moment, and I'm honored to be here, and thank you to your community and your listeners. I don't take their time for granted that they're watching this video or have us between their ears. So this week, your book is launching, and that is one of the major things we are going to talk about today. I'm just going to dangle that carrot for a second, but that's not actually what I want to ask you about first. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. But what I wanted to ask you, um, and this is the first question I always ask our visionary guests, is what is bringing you joy currently? The impact that I have seen in the last decade from the work I'm doing and uh, as this podcast gets released, we're obviously recording it ahead of time. Some transitions I'm making in my life will be clear. And so it's given me an amazing opportunity to talk to the companies and the teams where I've made impact in ways I didn't realize in the work. And it gives me joy to know maybe some of the long hours I sacrificed um, worth for always the greater good. And the second thing that's giving me joy is in the last year, I had the honor to be vetted and elected onto the National Board of Directors of the Girl Scouts. And 
you know me well, but your listeners don't. Everything that I've ever done my entire life from childhood to today has always been for the betterment of women from kindergarten to the C-suite. And anytime I'm in a room full of Girl Scouts, I am full of joy, whether it's our girl members or our adult members. I feel hope and joy that in that room is the positive force of good that's needed in the world. I know every time I'm with a troop that I'm meeting a future girl president for the United States. I am meeting the person that will find the cure to brain cancer, the individuals that will find tangible solutions to the environmental crisis we're living in. And that's what gives me utter joy is being of service and being a part of the impact. Mm, That literally gave me goosebumps like all over my torso. I was just like, And as you know, because we are friends, um, my little girl, my four-year-old Chloe, just started her Girl Scouts journey. I'm so proud. (laughs) She's technically a girl guide in London. Is that what it is? Girl guide in rainbow. She's She's a rainbow. You have to tell her Dr. Auntie Romian board member is sending a big package her way. (laughs) Shoes included. Sprightly shoes included. (laughs) Yeah, she loves it, loves it, loves it. And so I totally, I totally know what you mean about that impact. And it's been really fun to witness the ways that you support women. Literally, you know, it's not an exaggeration what you've just said. Literally in every room you're in, I've seen you do something generous to support the women around you. So I I really appreciate it. service. You're welcome. Yeah. So speaking of rooms that we've been in together, I'm just Mm going to take us back which would have been math uh, three years ago, almost four years ago, uh, January, 2020, right before the world fell apart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I booked a last minute flight to California to be in a room with really amazing, talented, entrepreneurial women. And that was a last minute choice for me to join this mastermind. And I found myself- Thank God you came, girl. Thank God. Yes. My life has changed because I sat down next to you. And you were, you know, jet setting as you always do. And you arrived all made up from some speaking gig somewhere uh, where you'd been rocking the stage. um, I think later in on that first day. And I was immediately captivated by you because when you walk into any room, you are captivating. Like everything about you you is just, I did not know that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's that stage presence, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, I would hope it's the inner glow, right. Of, of, of the spiritual work too, but yes. And, And isn't it funny because how many women are listening to this right now? And can I tell you the other side? I walked in late because, yes, I had literally just flown into L.A. and I still had my makeup and hair done. And I threw on like a a random jacket on top of my my outfit. I was scared out of my mind walking into the room. The room was full. Everybody knew each other. Everybody was seated. There wasn't a place to sit. And all heads turned around and looked at me. And nobody knew who I was because in that room of entrepreneurs, I wasn't known yet, except to Natalie McNeil, the founder of The Collective. And thank God you made a place on the sofa next to you. And there was this loving, sisterly, in in my book, The Busy Brain Cure, we call it the uh, conscious sisterhood of of the aunties, the collective aunties. There was that warm auntie energy from you. And I sat down. So while you say I walked in with the charisma of the room. I was scared inside mm. and sweating bullets going, oh, good God, I have a full face of makeup and fake eyelashes on. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've discussed this a few times. And one of the things that we discovered in this discussion is that everyone in the room was terrified. And maybe not everyone, but most of the people we've had conversations with were really intimidated by meeting the other people in the room. Mm -hmm. And the other piece that I think is really interesting is that one of the things that happens with me and why my why finding and branding work works so well, I believe, is because I'm pretty intuitive and I see things. And so things just, I didn't realize until recently that this is a thing, but like things just pop up and I see them. And so it's like Pokemon, right? Like <laughs> in the field. And when you started talking, I just saw the book. And I was like, hold on, girl. You don't you don't have a book? 
<laughs> your charisma, but also your experience, your genius, your passion, like everything that you were presenting, even though you weren't presenting, you were just sharing and being honest and vulnerable was like, where's the, where's the book? How, how is there? And no the book? courses, you, you had a whole pipeline in your head. Yeah. And I was like, who is this auntie? Like, <laughs> And I think it was really interesting for you being there, wasn't it? Because so many people in the room were such hardcore entrepreneurs and you exist within corporate worlds and you- As an entrepreneur, by the way, I, I'm, I'm B2B and everybody else in the room was largely B2C. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it, it was probably challenging for you to feel like this sort of odd person out with all of these different factors going on. And it, also because I kind of got a little extra melanin in my skin. I have like multiple heritages. Uh, <laughs> people didn't know who I was, what I stood for. Because what we do, we judge a, a book by a cover and people just hear the word brain doctor. And I could feel a lot of people in the room put me in that box of, oh, she doesn't get holistic health or Eastern medicine. Mm-hmm. And little did people know I had spent a decade at this time being older than most people in the room studying from global healers, mindfulness, yoga, the intersection of brain science and Eastern traditions, and that I too could stream intuitively. And when people were talking, I could see, oh, that's a health and wellness issue in them. That's a mindset. That's a psychological issue. So just like you can see that, there's like this medical intuitive thing in me too. So it's fascinating, isn't it? It is. And I think you know, being in a room where, you know, you never know anyone's beliefs or position or, um, you know, what they trust or don't trust. And I think I expect that probably in some of those rooms where you have a lot of spiritual coaches and um, other sort of positions like that, it might sometimes feel a little intimidating to be a medical doctor. (laughs) It's like, but it's this idea of, can I belong? And I think it's important for us to talk about this mastermind group because Because with our leader, Natalie, there is this real intention of belonging in in what, in my words, I call a conscious sisterhood. And that within a few hours, everybody felt like they belonged, regardless of the different countries and religions and cultural backgrounds we all come from. And there was this unity that we all are entrepreneurs making impact and serving humanity in our own way. And this sisterhood that you and I are still a part of, people come and go as as spirit allows and and does or or guides us to, but everybody is welcome with an open mind and an open heart. And that's what we need more of in the world. Oh, amen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, let's dive into this book, shall we? Because I think this is going to be a very, 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 very important part of that beautiful transformation. And, you know, you, as you mentioned, support women from kindergarten to the C-suite, but I think you've spent a lot of time working with upper level managers and the C-suite and leaders in organizations. And so tell us a little bit about where the, the ping, the inspiration, the need to zero in on, on what you have described deeply with both the description and the cure as busy brain. Where did that come from? You know, Nicole, you could say it all came from all the credentials that you read in my intro of being a doctor and a chief wellness officer and spending almost the last decade studying the impact of stress and burnout in the workplace. But could I tell you from a soulful, heartful place where it really came from? On the outside, when I was about 32, 33 to the outside world, it looked like I had made it. I had been raised by my dad my very first ally, mentor, and sponsor in my life, and a tribe of aunties, of elder stateswomen of every cultural and religious background, with one goal in mind. Please, God, help our daughter Romy become a doctor, and she has a big mouth, so help her find a husband, right? (laughs) That was how I was raised. And so at 32, 33, to the outside world, it looked like I had made it. I was not only a doctor entering neurology at a time where less than 5% of the brain doctors in America were women. I was doing cutting edge research on the role of women's hormones in the brain for epilepsy and migraine. 
and teaching medical students, especially the next generation of women doctors. And my life was falling apart from the sleep deprivation and the stress and what I now call a busy brain. This inability to focus all day and you're chugging caffeine and you can barely make it. You're feeling a low level anxiety all day and you go home and you can't shut down work and it's robbing of your sleep and your sanity. I didn't have that term then. And the stress can cause chronic disease as I learned firsthand and it can kill you because it almost killed me and I should have known better. I'm a brain doctor. And the worst part of that whole journey, Nicole, was as I was going through this long workup and suffering in today's world, what we call mental health crisis and burnout, I was in such a dark place and nobody at work asked if I was okay. Nobody said, I'm here for you if you need something. And I remember how lonely it felt. Now, let me be clear. My patients noticed their family members. They would bring me little treats. They knew I loved chocolate. They would give me little handwritten notes. But my colleagues were just gossiping behind my back. And so I think I wrote this book with the authentic story of myself, my aunties, the people who've undergone the transformation with the Busy Brain Cure so that other people wouldn't feel alone. That's why this was important to do. That impact of one at scale. And you're going to save lives, right? God like- willing. As, and so it is. And we do. Every time we run this protocol, we save lives. Absolutely. And save sanity. Nobody wants to be robbed of their sanity anymore. And how many people are walking around? And it's not just corporate, by the way. I work with high-level entrepreneurs like yourself as well, and founders and people in the C-suite, athletes, high-performing individuals in middle management who want to get to the C-suite, doctors, teachers, lawyers, people who love their jobs and their professions. And they're thinking, what's wrong with me? Am I just anxious? Am I getting old? I need to quit this job that I love. And that's not it. It's a busy brain and we're here with the cure. Oh God, you're going to help so many people. I am so glad this is scalable for the rest of us. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This is going to be so exciting. Oh, there's so much that you mentioned there that I really want to dive into. Um, But I think one of the things in my own experience as an entrepreneur and battling 20 years of being, you know, up and down towards burnout, unbelievable Mm -hmm. amounts of stress from all angles, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I'd say over the last eight years or so, I've still been in cycles because we all are. And I've had- We all are. Yeah. With the economy, you're a mom of two children (laughs) under the age of five. Yeah. (laughs) Running and scaling a brand new business that I I mean, yes, queen. Yes. Yes to you. Yes. (laughs) One of the things in that journey, A, just took a long time to acknowledge the cyclical nature of everything. Um, But one of the things that has become really clear to me is A, the incredible impact on stress. I've become much more aware of the psychosomatic sort of the ways that stress moves through my body, which seems wild and impossible at times. But this busy brain that you mention, I think there's this belief and this, or this fear, or just this basic operating system that we just have to get over it, right? Like just move on, like forget, just mm-hmm. like, what is yeah. wrong with me? Like Spiritually just bypass, just yeah. eat berries and breathe. Mm-hmm. And here's an Instagram reel of puppies hugging babies. You should be feeling better. Just and walk more. <laughs> that that that's not going to work. Here are three tips on Instagram. Do this. Buy stress. Go back to being, you know, a boss babe or whatever the the term of the, of the moment is, right? And that's not true. It's been something I've been studying, right? And so my journey started. Uh, I was still seeing patients as an integrative medicine doctor here in Florida, and my TEDx talk back in 2014, when TED talks still had impact, or they there weren't that went viral. And I didn't even know what that meant back then. God, God bless. You know, I know you're like, as a marketing person, you're like, Robbie, I didn't know what that meant. I thought that was like an infectious disease. I'm like, what? And big companies and sports teams were calling going, we saw your TED talk. Could you come talk to our athletes or our company about meditation and mindfulness? This was before there were apps on the phone and there were meditations all over YouTube and social media. 
And I started to teach teams and cultures the power of mindfulness and meditation. And all along, I was watching the patterns. And then I would start to hear, I'm doing everything you told me, Dr. Romy, and something is still wrong. And I was seeing it in my clinic and my patients too, of, of the term that I now call the busy brain. And then the global, well, let's say in 2018, I got named chief wellness officer, the first doctor in America in a corporate role like this. There were a lot of HR folks doing this. And my job was now to scale a wellness and mindfulness program in a company of over 7,000 employees at the time. And I got to see firsthand that ain't nobody want to be told to eat berries and breathe and live their life and go on. Like we needed to be inclusive and we needed to build something simple that could scale. And I started to do that. And then the global pandemic happened. And this is what the science that we did in the research, looking at 17,000 people who took the busy brain test, as well as the research from World Health Organization, American Psychological Association is saying, our brains are wired differently today. In the pre-pandemic days, when we would tell people breathe or move your body, it was because we had an acute stress response in our brain and we could change the station back in our brain and body to calm or relatively calm. That is not the case anymore. The patterns of what's happening of neuroinflammation that we're living in a chronically stressed, burnt out world. Most people, entrepreneurs, parents of young children, people working in corporations globally are burned out. So we need a solution that actually tackles that chronic inflammation happening in the brain and the body and heals that. And I had a little time in my hands in the pandemic, so I started to research, put together a protocol. And the best part was no diet because I want people to have joy in the food. Like, wait, I was expecting something louder than that. Hey, like, no No diet, diet. comfort food. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you get to have comfort food. And we tested it in a thousand executives and course corrected. And that's how we came up with the eight-week plan to find focus, tame anxiety, and sleep again, and basically heal the root cause of the chronic stress and burnout. Mm -hmm. That the superficial things that are out there on social media are no longer relevant or helping. That keep it simple, one-to-one, but be able to scale to impact and that's what happened since you and I sat on that couch in January 2020. Girl. <laughs> right back at you, sister. Because oh. we haven't even dug into your journey into my business. Are we going to get to that? Today is not about me, sister. Oh. Today is not about me. I have way too many questions for you. So Dig next- in. Dig in. Yeah. <laughs> The next thing I want to look the next angle I want to look at this from, because so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and probably have dreams about books and potentially mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. dreams about publishing a book with mm-hmm. one of the big five, or in fact, the biggest mm-hmm. publisher in the world, which happens to be the gracious host of your beautiful title. So can we learn a little bit more about that journey, about how the book actually came to be? Mm. I'm going to give everybody listening, including my sister, Nick, advice now that's going to sound like that bitter pill you're getting from an Indian auntie where you know she's speaking truth, but you're like, I didn't want that. Couldn't you have given me something sweet with my chai? Writing a book is not going to change your life or change your business. You have to go out in the world, change your life, change somebody else's life, build a business and the demand for the book will come. I told you my journey just now for a reason. I have been field testing workplace wellness, healing stress and burnout in the workplace since 2015. My TED Talk came out at the end of 2014 and companies started to call in 2015. And I thought I had a book and the first publisher came, the publishers and agents were coming to me because they knew I had an audience on stages and on television. So they came to me and thank God I didn't sign the first contract that came in 2018 because I would have written a book that had already been written in various things. And I knew I wanted to write a book that was different and that had impact and that had, that was unique. And so the advice that I was given 
when all of us had a business reset from um, JJ Virgin, who graciously endorsed this book and who's a New York Times bestseller herself and works with a lot of health and wellness entrepreneurs. And I think this goes to any entrepreneur in any area is have a unique idea, field test it, get the feedback which was the whole concept of busy brain. So I was actually doing the scientific research in the field and looking at the medical literature, then come up with the solution. So as an entrepreneur, you need to have, not only I identify the problem, but you come up with the solution and then test the solution so that you now already have a built-in audience and you have proof of concept that's actually going into the book. Notice what I didn't say in this book. I want to tell my story. I want to tell my story in the book and I want people to read it. And I want to tell my story on stage. You know, inherently, we live in a a world where people are suffering and they need self-compassion. And yes, stories that we tell can bring commonality and community and healing. But no one's going to buy the book to read the story unless you're Britney Spears or Prince Harry, you know, and, and please no offense to all of the people listening in the United Kingdom right now. I know that's a loaded topic to bring up that name, but you know, those are stories of people that are known by millions. And for most of us, it's how am I identifying a problem? I have a unique solution that's been tested and it can make impact. And that is what it is to write a book. You know, Nick, so many people in our collective are traditionally published or self-published. And they said this to me. And I think until you go through it, I didn't know it. It is hard work. <laughs> Researching the book, writing the book. I had an amazing developmental editor. The manuscript was done by the time we went to contract for the book. And... It is hard work launching the book and it is, it is a marathon. And by the way, it has impacted other areas of my business. And so as an entrepreneur, I'm like, was that book advance worth the six figure income that had to be put on pause so we could do this right? And for me, I, we had it. I also walked in and you're going to break this down with a business plan. So we knew we could take this pause to get this book written right and launched right because the revenue coming outside of the book and the impact is worth it. And so I just said a lot and unpack it all for your listeners, but I want to, was that a bitter pill to swallow as a fellow sister who's published a book and you're ready to do it again? Help me understand, you know, what people are going to be thinking because I'm disrupting the traditional entrepreneurial advice, write a book, build a course. You're going to be a millionaire and sit on a beach with a laptop. <laughs> so one of the things, just to give some context to that for our listeners who are not aware, is that in the coaching, online coaching space, there is a very popular funnel strategy where it is write a book, publish it on Amazon, get it to bestseller status, and then build a funnel off the back. And this is a beautiful way to sell an online course or coaching off the back of the book, the book is the funnel filler. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, 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 very different strategy than having a body of work that is appealing to a traditional publisher, mm -hmm. finding and negotiating. As a thought leader, as a thought leader. As a thought leader, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then securing the contract, writing the book. And as you say, the big work even begins after that when you have mm -hmm. to actually promote the book basically mm -hmm. forever. Like this has to yeah. be a pinnacle yeah. piece of your work. I, right? And it's not just me, it's my team. We yeah. have had to shift operations to pull people off from other things. And thank God, I, I mean, this is not a one woman show. Our entire Brain Shift Institute team, they are also hardworking and people who value learning something new. And it has been eye opening the last 24 months for them of wow, we never knew all this goes into a traditionally published book. And I think what you've helped do is, I'm so glad you said everything you said, because I have lots of conversations with entrepreneurs about the difference between self-publishing on Amazon, going the traditional route, I've done both. Yeah. And the... Yeah. Like, and the book that you're talking about is that next level. It's that thought leadership. It's the bestseller. 
title, not just a book. God willing. Ooh, from your mouth to God's ears. Yes. Yes. Because by the way, can we say this out loud? There has not been a woman doctor or woman of Asian descent on the New York Times or Wall Street Journal's bestseller list since Malala. Um, and especially when in the nonfiction realm, right. in the health and wellness realm, if you look at the last seven years of the New York times bestseller list for health and wellness, nonfiction, it's been all PMS pale, male, and stale. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would love that. (laughs) Can I steal that? Yes. And uh, this, this, this came from a dear colleague and friend of mine, Sunira Mandanhi, who is a unicorn at 35 and also a woman of South Asian descent. And she runs the CEO school. She just exited from a, a billion dollar valuation of a fintech company. And she uses that term. So we are sharing it. PMS, pale, male and stale. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That is so excellent. No offense to all the, the men that are listening and thank you for being an ally, but I'm talking about the people that traditionally held this the secret from everybody else that Nick and I are here to talk about, you know, so ask me more questions about traditional publishing. Yeah. So the bit I really wanted to dig in and it's so interesting because, you know, things always just work out this morning as I was looking through some of my emails um, and Facebook, I saw a former client of mine talking about a book project that she had pitched to a publisher and gotten rejected because it was too niche. And, um, I was, I just rattled off some advice for her in a comment and I was like, oh, it's the perfect prep for the chat with Romy today about these differences in traditional and non-traditional publishing. And I think, you know, there's so many details to go into about the fact that a book is a product and it needs to be viable and there's viability. Like my book Puppyhood was viable. It was never going to be a bestseller. It was a coffee table book. It was a $30 price point and we sold, I think, 38,000 of them which is about 28,000 more than they. Okay. (laughs) Which let's stop. And I want to celebrate you because here's some amazing facts that I learned is less than 0.1% of authors in today's world in 2023, as we're recording this going into 2024, will be traditionally published because of the self-publishing and the ease and technology and AI, there are over a million new titles that are put on Amazon and platforms like that every year. And just because you put a book out, you won't be a thought leader, right? And no matter whether you self-publish or traditional publish, you need to go in with a business plan and how the book is going to sell. Most books, self-publish or traditional publish, don't even get a thousand books sold. You've made it when you've hit about 3,000 in self-publish or traditional publishing, right? So one, I want to celebrate you, sister, that you hit 38,000, right? (laughs) That's epic in a niche book, right? On dogs and puppies. That is niche. Like you and I both love dogs, but to the publishing world, that is a very niche. And so I really want people to know that the other thing is books come in cycles that, you know, wellness books and, and brain and mental health is having a resurgence. This concept, had I pitched this exact concept about four or five years ago, may not have gotten the lift that it is now. So understand that, you know, publishers are, are a business and we have to respect that. And you are coming in as a business partner. So right now there may be a glutton of relationship and dating books, advice books, or cooking books. So don't take it personally if you get rejected. It's just not in their business plan right now. You know you're a thought leader when the publishers are coming to you. So I would say since about 2017, when I was getting visibility as a keynote speaker and on television, I've had midsize and large publishers and agents coming to me, right? So most authors that I know and I work with will tell me the same thing. And there was a niche that they are ready to publish and they are looking for thought leaders that have not published a book or have a track record of publishing in that area that they're going to approach. And that's how it works. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think to several of the points that you made, the, the gist of what we're talking about here is developing thought leadership overall, Mm -hmm. which is fundamentally about knowing yourself, knowing your skill set and expertise. We're going to talk about this in a second, knowing your why 
And also then being able to develop that into, as we've discussed, a body of work, right? Having something. And, and, and I'm going to add one more thing, a brand. Thank you, Nick. Having a clear brand, like, yes. And that's it. I also want to dispel this myth of the, the entrepreneurial funnel. You're a thought leader if you wrote a book. No, you write a book because you are, have developed your thought leadership. Yes. And that thought leadership, to your point, of a body of work can evolve over time. I went from publishing medical research in the field of epilepsy to, you know, uh, talking about integrative medicine and brain and mental health and in the workplace around mindfulness to now this new era of bringing it all together. Mm, that bringing it all together is the is the jam, isn't it? It's yeah. that, that body of work, right? It's yes. decades of layers on layers upon layers yeah. of expertise, research, experience. And, and you get to read the story in chapters one through four of the book. You, you get to read my journey into that dark place where hope departed my soul, exited stage left. The middle part of the journey is the all the male allies, because I've spent most of my career being the only woman in the room. So all the amazing male allies and leaders that came after my dad, as I was finding the solution to the busy brain cure and their science for all the doctors in the middle. And then the last part of the book, the eight week plan are the stories of transformation of thought leaders and leaders that were like, I'm on the brink of burnout, help me. And, and that is it. So yeah, this is that body of work. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I asked you in that first couple of days in LA, we had a break, we went outside to soak in some LA sunshine. And I said, one of the things I do is help people find my, find their why. And it is so clear to me that you are operating fully from your why. And it is, that's that inner glow, right? Of doing the spiritual work, but also having found this mission, yeah. this purpose and living into it and making some very difficult decisions yeah. Yeah. in order to do that. Can you speak a little bit to sort of how that came into focus for you in terms of like, why is this, why this mission? Why is it important to you? Where did it come from? And what's the vision that you'd really like to see, you know, not just as the impact of this book, but if you can have the impact you'd like to have on the world, what does that look like? I want to start from your initial conversation with me in 2020, because I really, I don't want people to think that I have it all figured out and I'm blessed to have a conscious sisterhood and male allies like Nick in my life to help. When I first met Nick, like many entrepreneurs who are starting out or not clear on their why, uh, before I went through your why finding, I had a massive body of work. So when Nick would ask me, what's your why? I would actually give you my credentials and everything I knew how to do. And it went something like this, Nick, I'm a board certified neurologist specializing in epilepsy. I also do integrative medicine. I've trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. I see patients in an integrative <laughs> clinic. I'm also a chief wellness officer. I do workplace wellness. I know a lot about nutrition. Do you want me to talk about migraines or do you want me to talk about weight loss? <laughs> she is laughing. She remembers that. Well, it's every entrepreneur, it's, it's every, a, we're, we're, mul we're multi-passionate. We yeah. can't wait to get another certification or training. We, we do all the things and you haven't even executed one project and you're on to the next three. <laughs> and I had no choice because I had a very large speaking business, multi-six figure and a multi-six figure contracts that all disappeared in under six weeks when the global pandemic started. And Nick, being the phenomenal sister and entrepreneur she had, is, knew her why. And she was like, this woman, my sister Romy, has a body of work. I'm going to help her understand her why. And I became laser effing focused that when other people started to call me and say, could you train this group of doctors on how to do public speaking? Could you come and talk about migraines? I was like, that's not in my why. That is not in my business plan. No. Because once I had my why finding, then I went to uh, Pamela Slim. I'm going to give her a shout out on this podcast. She has been on this journey with me because we both gave a TED talk on the same day and she's the entrepreneur whisperer. I went to her with my why and said, we're putting together a business plan that is going to work in this post-pandemic world, right? Help me. And I really need to be clear about that. So that I want to talk 
humbly of, I had a lot of verbal vomit with you. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. The beauty is I didn't have to hear it. I could see it. I knew like okay. it was so clear and, and you had expressed yeah. yourself so eloquently and you were more importantly living it. And and this is what I see so often is that so many brilliant, passionate, talented people are doing great work, have that body of work and then have that as their introduction, right? Ver verbal diarrhea. Yeah. Or, or Or the other thing I want people to do that are listening is own your thought leadership. So you hear that I am a doctor and I spent a big part of my career seeing patients. I'm no longer seeing patients one-to-one. -one. That is still a part of my thought leadership, especially women that I meet, entrepreneurs. They have this incredible body of work. They they were former chief marketing officer to multi-million dollar brands. They are teachers. They are lawyers. And they think they have to rebrand themselves and they leave that part out and they say, I'm now the confidence coach. I'm now the survive your divorce and middle age coach. I'm like, maybe that's a little bit part of your why, but you're not honoring your thought leadership that builds that in. And that is one of the biggest difference that I see between men and women mm -hmm. and in the entrepreneurial space, since I'm in the room with a lot of men, you know, mm -hmm. you have to be able to lead with that. So, and do it in a concise way. So I didn't answer your original question, but I really wanted to get that part out. So ask Thank me that you. question again. Thank you for all that you shared there. The why finding with you was such a joy. The question was around where did this deep, deep mission for not only supporting women, but especially for this cure, helping people to overcome burnout, to avoid yeah. the death and disease of chronic stress, as well as what is the vision for the world where that has happened? where we are not operating from that place. Anymore. Yeah. You know, I think when I look back at my entire body of work, even back into childhood, I've always been a disruptor that is educated. So I, I make a strategic plan by deep research and thought and then go create cultural change. That is like my path. <laughs> yes, that's the brain shift. And so today, when I think of what am I disrupting is too simultaneous paths, what do you call them? Entities and structures. structures. Yeah. I'm disrupting the world of traditional brain and mental health with the busy brain cure, because we can't keep giving people caffeine and Adderall during the day and wine or sleeping pills at night. No judgment. If you're taking that, we have a cure for you. It's in the book. <laughs> so we're, we're disrupting brain and mental health and helping doctors and psychologists learn how to get to the root cause. And then we're simultaneously disrupting workplace cultures. And this and idea. Patriarchy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the patriarchy. Yes. Yes. I mean, that was just understood. <laughs> that as a woman chief wellness officer and a woman female founder and a woman doctor, you know, this is this is me standing up as a steminist and stilettos to the patriarchy. And but we're disrupting this this workplace culture that workplace culture today, stress can't be worn as a badge of honor and that uh, people want a culture of wellness and belonging. And so that is the two places that I'm disrupting. What's my why? Well, I think I shared that earlier and I want to share it again is it's not normal to live in a place of chronic stress and burnout, but I also work with people that want to be successful as I do. And I firmly believe you can succeed as an individual or a team or an organization without the chronic stress and burnout, breaking that stress success cycle. And, and that's my why. And that I am now walking into teams, whether you are a small business of 10 or a global organization of 100,000, where there is a culture of wellness and belonging. And that's my why and my impact. And so now when I get called to give keynote lectures, it's on two things. It's here's the busy brain crisis and the real cure to chronic stress and burnout in today's modern world. And also I have a track history of building a culture of wellness as a part of a team and an incredible team at Evolution Hospitality. Now other leaders call me to say, how did you do that? We're trying to do that in our company. And maybe that's the next book we'll see. I, I'm not quite sure yet. You know, we need to get through this marathon. <laughs> and right now, as we record this podcast and growing, I'm um, coming out globally 
United Kingdom, Australia, United States, Canada, um, translated into Chinese, Turkish, negotiations for the Middle East and Arabic, Spanish, coming out all over the EU. So this is a marathon that I am getting ready for globally. And to, as God sees fit, a mission that's bigger than me to serve so that nobody feels alone again on a team or in the workplace or if you're a leader and you notice that somebody is in that place, I've given you some of the tools to be that ally and that leader to help them. So what does the world look like when we all have had our busy brain cure? (laughs) I believe in a world of abundance and that people can find success because how you and I define success in any entrepreneur listening to this podcast right now is really different. That we can do it without stressing ourselves out. And so that we're no longer on this toxic stimulant sedative cycle where we need stimulants all day long, whether it's caffeine, Adderall, social media, the dopamine hit of touching your phone and feeling anxious all day. And instead you are focused, you're leading with calm consciousness, you're having restorative sleep so that you are able to do your why finding and figure out how you are going to make impact in the world. And I really want to remind people that impact starts first with me, myself, and I, yourself. How am I impacting my well-being? And then what is the impact of one? And then if you're blessed to be able to scale it beyond one, go do it. But don't think you haven't made impact if it isn't one person. I really thank my mom and my aunties who introduced me to public libraries when I was growing up. And somewhere in the fifth grade in the Danville Public Library, God saw it that I was going to discover Ralph Waldo Emerson as a fifth grader and Rumi and the path that is now in Sufism. And I live by this quote from the famous poem from Ralph Waldo Emerson, his poem on success, to know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, that is to have succeeded. And that's impact. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you for that. I love this vision. And this is the place where our wise crossover. You know, my my mission is all about helping to create a joy first world. And so much of what that is about is choosing joy first in the moment, in the day, in the week. And one of the things that I've noticed with entrepreneurs over the last two decades, starting with myself, and it's a constant battle is there somewhere along the way we got taught that we need to earn and deserve joy? Ooh, yes. Oh, that deeply resonated with me. Yeah. We hustle to try and deserve it so that we can have it as a destination. And a lot of us talk about happiness, but happiness and joy are not the same. Two different things. Yeah. You know that mindfulness teaches us the same. Yes, sister. Yes. Mm -hmm. And joy has a very physical element to it. Even if you look at color psychology, happiness is yellow. That's where we get emotional stimulation and soothing. Joy is orange, which is a combination of yellow, the emotional, and red. And so I feel like there's such a huge crossover here between the joy and, and the busy brain cure, because obviously looking to your mental and physical well-being is probably one of the biggest overlooked <laughs> types of self-care, right? Being Girl, able- right? Yeah. That you don't address your mental well-being until there's a problem. I mean, that certainly happened with me and a lot of people I serve and everybody that was written about in this book and the companies and the teams. God, what you just said deeply resonated a joy first world. And here's something I want to ask you as you've been studying the color psychology and joy. I think of my job as an entrepreneur We talked about there were a lot of steps to write this book. There were joy when stories were downloading. There was joy when I found a new scientific discovery. But there was some pain along the way, and there was hard work along the way. But I knew at some point that the mission was giving me joy so that I could find some joy in the hard work. Am am I saying that right? Because what I can find sometimes with entrepreneurs is they're going to be like, this doesn't give me joy. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to delegate it. I mean, I was raised by a tribe of aunties that are like, you will work hard. You will memorize that encyclopedia if you're going to be a doctor one day. You know, like like literally. So help me to understand that from what you've studied because I am a success-driven person. So, you know, in, in a 
linear mind, that means this would give me joy to achieve it. What are my smart goals along the way? And maybe yes. some of those, some of those steps aren't going to be so joyful. They're going to be like, Ooh, and maybe I can delegate some of them, but listen, I wasn't going to delegate the medical research to anybody. I'm the brains behind this operation. I wasn't going to delegate the ghostwriting to anybody. I was going to write the stories of my aunties and my voice. I mean, I had a badass developmental editor, uh, Melanie Bates, by the way, if any, oh my God, she, she is brilliant, like your intuitive mind. But, but yeah, so help me to understand about the pain that can come along the way for joy. Oh, such an important question. <clears throat> so joy isn't hedonism. Right. Ooh, 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 we, that is powerful. Yeah. And we think hedonism, right? We think yeah. just go crazy, do whatever feels good all the time. But what the research tells us is that actually hedonism doesn't make us happy. And what we need and prefer and desire is meaning and meaning mm. included. So joy is much more about meaning. It is about pleasure and allowing ourselves and pursuing more pleasure than we do allow, especially those A-type success-driven personalities where everything's gentle and pleasurable weights, right? Um, but the other thing I found really fascinating, which kind of fits into this, is that one of the most incredible sources of joy we get as human beings is accomplishing something we thought was impossible. Oh, which is yes. what you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not just the easy road. Mm -mm. It's the road with meaning. And it's the road where we are able to accomplish something impossible. That's like the big joy payload. But wow. along the way. Wow. What I'm testing right now in my body of work is this question. To create a joy first world, to create a joy first day. Being able to have this question on repeat, which is. Where's the joy here? While I'm waiting in traffic, standing in line, really pissed off about something my toddler's doing, like, where's the joy here? Where's the joy here? Where's the joy? And what I found is the quickest shift in that moment is often into gratitude, which obviously mm -hmm. mindfulness tells us is a really important part of our mental health mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and our well-being. And then I want to have an honest moment with you because you're right. The continuum of our, both of our body of work is so sacred. I'm getting chills and I can just see us both together on stages one day for entrepreneurs is it's really hard for someone that has that pattern of neuroinflammation in their brain in their limbic system that has hijacked their emotional well-being and the hypothalamus, your circadian rhythm to just stop and go into joy and gratitude. And in fact, that spiritual bypassing, I'm not letting someone feel, deal, and heal. So if you're sitting here with a busy brain going, oh my God, yes, Remy, I got the adult onset ADD. I have the anxiety. I have the insomnia. This joy and gratitude feels bad. It, it, it's not accessible to me. That's normal. That happens when you have a busy brain. That's why we have a cure here. And by the way, people start feeling that at least relief into the embodiment of joy within the first two to three weeks of our protocol because we start with sleep mm. and resetting the circadian rhythm. And all of a sudden, emotions and things can process and the body has that time to restore. So I, I wanted to add that piece in there um, because I'm really when glad. I'm dealing with people that are burned out or have a busy brain, I don't just automatically shift into gratitude, but I instead say, I try to be their hope holder told you at the beginning of this interview, this book really started because I, I can still like, I, I could just shift into that dark Romy right now. I was sitting in the surgeon's office and he's telling me the cardiothoracic surgeon and I'm sobbing and my dad is by my side. And he tells me, Romy, you're the youngest patient we've ever seen and the most severe. This is likely going to be the first surgery of multiple we need to remove these lesions and see, in fact, if it is cancer. And do you have disability insurance? And that moment that just hope just got sucked out of my soul, he realized we couldn't go on with the consultation physically. I was sobbing so hard and my parents were in alarm. And I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder. Romy, I've got hope. Let's get through this first surgery. You're going to be just fine. And all of a sudden it snapped my mom and dad, hope. Of course, we're going to go to everybody we know 
and tell them, please go to church, go to the synagogue, go to the temple, go to the mosque, go to your house, pray for our daughter. And and then I called my mentor, Dr. Wanamaker, that you'll read about in chapter eight. And, you know, I was like, I think I might need to leave my job for a while. I don't know if they're going to allow this. What do I tell my chairman? I need to go through surgery. I need to heal. I can't continue to work. I'm like, my busy brain is spinning and ruminating. And he's like, I'm going to put your name on our bulletin in the church. And every Sunday, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to have hope that you get through this. Like basically telling my busy brain not to think about the things that weren't important. And there in the small parish in a small town in, in South Carolina where I hadn't visited yet, people were holding hope for me, people I hadn't met. And so that's your and my job. When someone can't find that joy first or that gratitude, I ask them, and it's how I close this book, what do you hope for? What is it that you're hope for, for your brain and your body? When I ask this at the end of my keynote lectures, people either say, I don't know what I hope for. That sounds too airy-fairy. Or they hope for something for their children or humanity and all that is great. But you are allowed to hope for something for your brain and your body and your team. And I will model that for you right now. Nick, I hope as I start this marathon with you and this love that keep me calm on this marathon for this book launch that is happening globally, keep my body healthy and energized. And in a personal world role, I have dedicated the last decade of my life to excellence and impact. I hope for a second chance at love. Mm. And that somewhere on this journey of sharing the busy brain cure that I do that. And I say that to you vulnerably because you've been one of my hope holders for this book, this mission, and that's what it is. So, yeah. Well, there is nothing more radiant than a woman in her passion. So, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, speak that into the universe. and Yeah, yeah. And that we can be each other's hope holders. Absolutely. Hope is such an important part of it. Yeah. Okay. I have one more question for you before I let you go. Okay. We haven't covered like three things though. That I want to cover. <laughs> I'm being bossy and telling you how to run your podcast. And I know we've gone way over and listeners are this, but they, they need to hear the story of this. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Okay. So Romy, for those of you guys listening without video is holding up her beautiful. <laughs> well, sorry. I just screamed into the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh and can we talk about can we be honest about the journey of this cover girl please okay so when you're with a traditional publisher you are dealing with hundreds of people and your book and it, it goes to sales it goes to marketing it goes to art your editor they're editing content legal is double checking the research like there are hundreds of people vetting and making sure this book goes. So they see, oh, woman doctor, we don't deal with that often. And the word anxiety is in the title. They sent back the first cover and it was pink. Now, Which side note, for those who don't know, in traditional publishing, if you are a woman author or your book is for a woman, which they automatically assume if you're a woman author, your book must be for women they're going to put you in the bucket of must be pink or red, must be pink or red, must be pink or red, must be pink or red because women. So carry on. And, and I just had this full body moment. That is the opposite of joy. First, it was all oh, hell no. <laughs> and then I did the SOS call to Nick, who, by the way, not only did my wife finding, but our entire brand. And, you know, there's different podcasts where we talk about her brand strategy. So I resent the brand guidelines to the team at HarperCollins. And they were wowed. They were like, we've not had an author come with their own set of brand guidelines before. And then I talked to them about my audience is typically predominantly men, but this book is gender neutral. It is meant for people regardless of what gender they identify with, whatever sexual orientation, a busy brain can happen to anybody. And they came back with the brand guidelines. This purplish blue color is in my brand guidelines, but we still couldn't get the it factor right. That was gender neutral. And I remember telling them and their artist, and I remember telling Nick, 
the people I speak to are now leaving a conference and they're running through a major airport somewhere in the world. And they were like, I need that. Or they're scrolling quickly on Audible or Amazon. And in a sea of beige, they need to (laughs) feel powerful impact. And tell me this color that's on the book. Because I've been sitting here with my Pantones looking it up. Yes, because this is this is the color that Nick picked and the publisher loved it right away and they did it and and then there was different fonts and I chose to go with power. I, I just chose to go with punch, power, bold. It's <sighs> <laughs> so beautiful. So what happened is uh Romy sent me several versions and they were playing with the one of the blue colors. I think there's a couple lighter blues in your brand mm-hmm. as well. And mixing them with pink, mixing them with light blue. And we had a conversation around, you know, is this book meant to feel like the cure? Is this book meant to feel like the solution, the result, the ah? Or does it need to be more stimulating because it's got to jump off a shelf? And since I've worked with so many books and magazines, I knew the right answer from a commercial standpoint. So it was a matter of, from a color psychology standpoint, how do we pick stimulating that speaks to the content of the book, but also jumps off a shelf. Oh my God. And so brilliant. The text Mission accomplished. <laughs> yes. Tell me. Uh, it was in August. <laughs> yes. And I was like, girl, stop it. And I just grabbed it. And I picked this one of these two. Yes. And 388. This one. You're going to have to send us the Pantone numbers and colors. And for people that are listening to this podcast, we're going to put screenshots of them. Yes, we'll show Because she's literally holding up what I call the Sherman Williams palette. Like hundreds and hundreds of colors. And in those thousands, nailed it. Here. Nailed it. Right here. Yeah. And they are stunning. And And we are... We are also, I'm very honored that this book was featured in Publishers Weekly, which is a really big deal for a traditionally published book. Publishers Weekly is like the premier organization and publication that will highlight the new traditionally published books coming out that kind of tells buyers for Barnes and Nobles and libraries and and universities what to buy. And my book, thank God, all praise to God, was featured as, you know, the book to watch, to disrupt, you know, and talk about burnout and leadership in 2024. And we're going to put that screenshot up because you see all these other amazing books that are thought leaders. And this mission accomplished just punches you in the brain right (laughs) off the page. Like you're like, that's it. (laughs) You were saying a lot of these other covers are are basically shades of white, right? So it's like white, white, white. white. Okay. We we have an auntie, uncle term in my family. They're shades of biscuit beige (laughs) (laughs) that are very pleasant and calming for a biscuit that you want to have with afternoon tea. No, this book (laughs) is ready to disrupt healthcare and the business world. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I cannot wait to see it on the shelf and in my friendly local airport bookshop as I'm running through on that big bestseller end cap where there's 25 of them facing me as I walk by, which they are going to want to do because not only is it a bestseller, but it's beautiful. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for being here with us and for letting me share in this journey with you. It is such a joy and a privilege to watch, to chat, and to connect on this topic. Anything else you leave us with as we say goodbye? I couldn't have been here without you and the Y-Finding and the branding. Thank you for seeing my thought leadership and the impact I was trying to make in the world and for being one of the hope holders for my business. And um, really it is, and it means a lot. And I sit in joy knowing that I'm not going on this journey alone and that you are there with me as a business partner, a colleague in entrepreneurship, and most of all, a sister friend. Mm, It is such a pleasure. And thank you for all of your support in return 
Really appreciate it. Now, where can we get this book? When and where can we buy this book, Dr. Rome? January 9th, it is being released globally anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, Audible, Kindle, in the United States and North America, where we both have a lot of listeners in Barnes and Nobles. And do something fun for Nick and I for her branding and for this mission. If you're running in an airport and you see the Busy Brain Cure, take a quick snapshot and send it to us and tag Nick and Dr. Romy on social media. And oh. um, yeah, may, may you find the cure to your busy brain so that you can succeed in your life and business goals and live in a place of joy. Thank you so much. Thank you.